ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Julie Kimberley had just moved from Sydney to South Australia's Riverland and she found herself sitting on the banks of the Murray River thinking about her mate Laurie. It's been 11 years and I haven't spoken to my mate Laurie in all that time but now I'm here and I just can't stop thinking about him. What Julie didn't next expect was a Facebook message and then a phone call from Laurie's ex-wife saying he'd passed away from bowel cancer just eight weeks earlier. I was shocked and I felt guilty to hear about Laurie's passing. I'd been putting off searching for him for some time now. She told Julie that Laurie had been cremated and that his ashes were sitting unclaimed in a funeral parlour in Sydney. His ex-wife put me in touch with his sister in the UK and his new friends in Sydney. It was decided between us that I'd be the one to go and collect him. What does someone's ashes mean to us? I'm Miyuki Okiranta, and for our Remember Me season of stories, we'll follow Julie on her unique journey with Laurie's ashes. Laurie was dead, and I was never going to see him again. But here I was in Sydney at a funeral parlour with his new mate Tim, who he'd met through Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA. Hello. Oh, hello. How gorgeous. Hi. Tim was introducing me to Maureen, a funeral director that Laurie had reached out to when he knew he was dying of cancer. Are we allowed to shake these days? Yeah, yeah. I know you would. They'd spent 12 months planning his funeral together, and in that time had become friends. Maureen handed me his ashes. They'd been sitting in the strong room for five months. It's just quite overwhelming seeing his thing. It's okay. That's all right. Sorry. It's always going to be a huge, a huge moment, Mm. you know. And the reaction that you're having now is what I had when my boss rang me. I was off that Friday afternoon. I can't remember why, but she she rang to let me know that Lawrence had died. And I, I wasn't expecting it. I'd only texted him, but he'd messaged me about a week before and there was no hint that the end was that close. And I just sobbed. I absolutely sobbed. I'd spent a year getting to know him and he like I said, he could talk a glass eye shut. He would talk for an hour and he'd tell me stories that just had me roaring, like laughing like a drain. That sounds like the Laurie I knew. He was hilarious, clever and charismatic. He could turn any situation into an opportunity for laughter. He'd always dreamt of becoming a writer. As Tim started filling me in on the last 10 years of Laurie's life, it was really hard to hear about his struggle with alcoholism and becoming homeless. It's complex too because Lawrence was estranged from his own family and, you know, we tried very, very hard when we knew that Lawrence was terminally ill to have him make contact with his own family. His responses were always quite abrupt and there were people in our circle of friends who had similar situations to Lawrence where they were acutely, I guess, ashamed of what had gone on. They, they hadn't got to a point yet where they could go back. And I think in a lot of ways that's probably where Lawrence was, really. I, I mean, Lawrence, he ran hot and cold a bit on why he didn't want to talk to his family. Sometimes he laid stuff at their door, but mostly he, he said, I'm not ready for it, I'm not able to do it yet. And I think really uh, the, the reason why Lawrence is still on a shelf, if you like, 
everybody's tried to do is tidy a job of tidying up Lawrence's life and putting a bow around everything in a way that's involved no tension, that nothing's been able to be done quickly. It was a matter of concern that there didn't seem to be anything in place for where his ashes would, would be. But I, I truly believe in serendipity that you're here to have them. It may have taken longer than we'd have liked, but I think they're where that they need to be right now. Mm. <laughs> it's funny because, um, yeah, obviously it is overwhelming. <laughs> Definitely not the reunion that, that I had been anticipating. <laughs> yeah. I felt a connection with this man. You know, he was from the UK too. He was of a similar age to me, but he was facing a much more um, impending death. You know, we're all going to die of something someday, but he knew his end was was coming. And it, I, I, I felt, lucky is not the right word, but I felt privileged to be able to guide him on that final journey. I thought, he's in the right hands. It was September 1992 when I first met Laurie. I was 21. It was five o'clock in the morning. I was sitting on the driveway of a country manor, somewhere on the outskirts of Birmingham in the UK. As we waited for a black cab, I knew instantly that he was my kind of people. A mischievous and wondrous friendship was cemented in a moment with a clinking of cans and a simple cheers it was a friendship that would span across oceans and be solid for close to 20 years. That was until 2009, when things went a little pear-shaped. As my life was thrown into chaos, Laurie's life was also spiralling out of control. His dad had passed away, his wife divorced him, and every time we talked, his calls became more frantic. He wasn't actually making sense. That's when I stopped talking to him. The last I'd heard, he'd fled for South America. His plan was to kill himself through drinking, but that was thwarted when he was deported back to Australia for drunken disorderly behaviour. He landed on the streets of Sydney, eventually finding AA. He had five years of, you know, chaos. He basically spent five years trying to create peace and order and got it, largely speaking, and then boom. Laurie met Ginia at AA and they fell in love. Together they started to get really fit and healthy but then he developed bowel cancer and overcame it and then she gets bowel cancer and sadly it took her life. But it wasn't long before Laurie's own cancer came back. He was 51. In the run into Ginia's death, he started getting all lamentous about not making old bones himself and I was like, what are you talking about, you know, cut the drama. And within three weeks, he's diagnosed with it back again. He sort of seemed calm but resolute in the fact that it was going to beat him. Long before he knew for sure. That first phone call was quite difficult because he'd rang primarily to talk about his funeral service, but Ginia was the focus. He he got quite tearful talking about her. Um, and it was obvious within a very short space of time that she really was the love of his life. Um, 
So I managed to wrangle the conversation back to the topic of his funeral and what that might look like. And once he was clear that it didn't have to be something conventional, he began to become quite uh, relaxed about the whole thing. I've got a text somewhere to one of our mutual friends saying, I don't think Lawrence realises it, but this is it. I think he's in the process of dying, not being sick. And uh, he was only in hospital for less than 24 hours before he passed away. It's not unusual to develop a friendship with, um, with people that you're arranging funerals with, but they're usually the family. But to be able to establish a friendship with someone who you know you're ultimately going to lose, I hadn't thought about what it would be like when he went because I'd not had to deal with that in the past. Sorry. Talking to Maureen, who planned Laurie's funeral with him and her dogs just had diarrhoea. And that would absolutely be something Laurie would orchestrate. I remember Laurie would often talk about his death, predicting ways in which we would die. It was part of the Julian Laurie show. It was something we did to entertain our larger circle of friends. He was going to drown and I was going to burst into flames falling down the stairs. He always threatened to come back and haunt me. I knew he worked for his dad's publishing business, but I wasn't always clear whether they were wealthy or not. It doesn't surprise me that Laurie thought long and hard about the ways in which he would leave his mark on this planet. It was good to hear that he'd gifted some of his estate to help homeless people. His, his altruism was phenomenal, you know, that the legacy that he wanted to leave behind, and not just his name, but his engineer's name, was beautiful. You know, these were people that he would be helping who would never have the chance to thank him personally, but he'd been in a place where he had nothing, and when he began to get himself on his feet, he didn't want people to go through what he had gone through. With things like not having a fridge, so having to shop every day because you had nowhere to keep food fresh. To have a washing machine so they didn't have to collect coins to go to the laundrette. To keep themselves clean and presentable. Something that he struggled with after he'd had a period of homelessness him himself. He was always very particular about what he owned and wore. He didn't have much, but he often sported a Rolex. A funny story that Laurie told me was of his Rolex watch that he lost. He was at a, a club in King's Cross. He'd had a fair bit to drink and one of the performers, a, a stripper, came towards him and was admiring his watch. And she asked if she'd be able to try it on. So Laurie was very obliging and said, yes, I'd be happy for you to try it on. And she tried it on and said, oh, it doesn't look as masculine as I thought it might do. And then she got up and twirled around for a bit and then took off. And Laurie said it was the fastest he'd ever seen anyone run in high heels. And all that he could remember was that the stripper's name was Mustang. Looking back, I realised that alcohol probably exacerbated what I thought were his obsessive compulsive tendencies. He used to call me every Sunday and wanted my attention for hours. At the time, it was all about him and what he was going through. He never acknowledged the birth of our twins or the unexpected passing of my mum. All I wanted to hear from him was, so how are you? It was at this point I decided for my own self-preservation that I needed to take a break from him. But from the stories I'm hearing, 
it sounds like for the last five years, he was back to being Laurie again. Aside from just using AA to stay sober and, and straighten his head out, he'd gotten into Buddhism. He loved the fact that it helped you accept a very imperfect world. And Lawrence, of course, being Lawrence, would not say an imperfect world. He would say, it's a shit world and you've got to get used to it. He really lived that. I mean, he was a good example uh, benefiting from a healthier brain, a healthier mind. He was getting well. He still had a lot of shortcomings, but he was getting well not by thinking about himself all the time. He was getting well by doing things to get better. He was helping Junior. He was contributing to other people. He was sponsoring people. He was, he was actively putting himself out to try and deal with his condition, which is largely, you know, one of the key tenets of, of recovery in our program in AA. Be of service to others uh, in all parts of your life, not just within, within AA, but starting with AA. After going through Junior's funeral, Laurie wanted to make sure none of his friends were left to plan his. Music was such a huge part of Laurie's existence and he was always sharing his latest find. I'm not surprised he wanted to have complete control over the final playlist of his life. It's time to fix it. Let's turn fear on Laurie did an amazing job planning his funeral. He really did. He thought of everything. He knew he didn't want flowers, like a big arrangement of flowers. He, he knew he wanted to be on the boat. He knew the people that were going to speak and potentially what was going to be said about him. Um, he planned the music. He knew he wanted vegetarian food to honour the Buddhist friends that were going to be there. No alcohol. In deference to his work with AA, he was particularly keen not to have anyone have a burden of deciding what he would have wanted. So he, he and I think because he, he didn't have control over his illness and the effect that that had on his body, this was one thing that he did have control about and he didn't really want to give that away. You did just mention there that he didn't want to leave that burden with anybody else, but he forgot about his ashes, right? <laughs> he did, he did. He got as far as um, getting cremated and then forgot about the rest. And, and you know, hands up, I, I, I did too. Normally it's like, what would you like to happen with your ashes? We never had that conversation. We never had that conversation, which led to him being in our strong room for as long as he was. It was kind of nice having him there. You know, whenever I'd go in there, I'd, I'd, I'd see him and I'd, I'd say, hi, Laurie. You know, hi, Lawrence. How are you? Um, he, he, he was a great comfort to me as well. As curious as I was about them, Maureen and Tim also wanted to know about Laurie and me. In January, we moved to Murray River and Laurie kept coming to me and he was sitting in my mind. And then in the March, got a Facebook message to say he died. And I was like, what? What do you mean he's gone? Um, but at the same time, I was like, you have kept your promise to haunt me. You're haunting me until I come and do something. As far as um, Lawrence's ashes and what happens to them, there really is no hurry to make a decision on what happens with them, whether they're kept together, whether his siblings want any, whether they're scattered, memorialised somehow, some, somewhere. No hurry whatsoever. Maybe he'll come to you and haunt you one last time and say, this is what I want. As I left with Laurie in my arms, I felt like I was doing the right thing. 
I had no clue about the emotional shit show I was about to go through. Uh, so that his life has come to this, to this box that nobody really wants, um, it's pretty sad. Uh, it's a it's a burden. It's actually a burden to have the responsibility of someone's body in a box with you and normally that burden lies with really close loved ones and they take care of it and he at the end of his life hasn't found that he hasn't been granted that ashes seem to have only as much significance as someone chooses to attach to them some people see them as just the remains of someone's body and other people feel that it's an essence of them and they want to hang on to some some part of them. Hi, this is Tim. I can't take a call right now. Please leave a message and I'll call you back as soon as I can. Thank you. Please leave a detailed message after the tone. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Yeah, good morning, Tim. Sorry to phone you so early. It's Julie. Um, I'm flying out to South Australia today, as you know, and I've had the last two days with Laurie, and after speaking to yourself and Maureen, I don't feel right taking him back to South Australia. Of course I will if I have to, but I was wondering if he could stay with you maybe um, until I do get back to Sydney. It felt right taking Laurie into Manly one last time on the ferry, which was nice, and Kind of weird, obviously, but um, I'd tr- love to try and speak to you before I head over to the airport and see if we can organise something. Um, yeah, give me a call back. Bye. I did fly home without Laurie. I left him in Sydney, cold and alone, on the top shelf of my dad's garage. I just didn't want that burden, and I was afraid of taking his ashes into my home, just in case his spirit came along for the ride and continued to haunt me. If I'd understood Maureen's affection for Laurie earlier, I would have left him in her strong room. It's quite perplexing the choices our emotional minds will make. We'll often have people fighting over who's going to have ashes. It could be ex-wives and ex-girlfriends and whatever. And if it gets messy and, you know, a court needs to get involved, then no one gets them until we're told by an authority this person has to have them. Wow. So there's court battles over ashes? Oh yes, yes. A service that we do offer is once a year we'll gather those ashes of people that have relinquished ownership of them to us. We'll take them out on a boat in Sydney Harbour and have an ash scattering ceremony there, which is quite beautiful. How many are we talking? How many people are you taking out on this boat yearly? Uh, It's not very many, I'd say about half a dozen. We'll let them know when it's happening, so they may choose to light a candle at home and and have some sort of a, a special moment to themselves, but it's just not something that they wish to be present at. Sometimes it's just too painful. In figuring out what to do with Laurie, I touched base with some old friends, the early 90s crew. There was about 20 of us who lived in share houses within a block of each other in Birmingham. They'd all been wondering what happened to Laurie. They didn't know either that he'd sunk so low. I was feeling a lot of remorse and guilt about not taking his phone calls and pretending to be unavailable when he was desperately trying to contact me. I wasn't there for him when I should have been, 
but I can do this for him now. So I'm just trying to find something to put the ashes in and nothing really seems appropriate here at my mate's house. As sad as this is, I'm actually going to have to use a plastic bag. Laurie's Sydney friends have organised for us to meet at a park tonight to honour his life and scatter his ashes, but I'm going to keep some aside. I'll figure out what to do with them later. Okay. I don't want to keep any excess ashes. It's literally going to be um, maybe one tablespoon only. Um, this is obviously a very delicate operation. Before we left home, there was a massive thunderstorm. It was windy and all I could think was, Laurie, you're doing this so that we get ashes on our face. But as we arrived at the park, the clouds cleared and it was a beautiful mottled purple sky. Maureen and Tim were there, along with a couple of Laurie's work colleagues and a dozen or so of his AA friends. His Buddhist mate was officiating and we all took turns to say goodbye by sprinkling some of his ashes into a flower bed. Um, Lawrence, he started his life as an Anglican. He had a Jewish father, but in recent years he was a Buddhist, so he'd had an ecumenical life. But these are the verses to help him on his way. May all blessings be yours. I'll remember him actually for his, his sense of humour right up to the last moment I saw him. His last communication with me was a witty riposte from the hospital bed, I'm not dead yet. As I said, thank you for your friendship. By the power of all the Buddhas, may all happiness be yours. One of the main reasons why he went to South America is like every other famous writer, was to drink himself to death. And then he realized that he had nothing published. <laughs> By the power of all the Sangha, May all happiness be yours. One of his last rounds of treatment and uh, he asked me if I'd take him to RPA. At the end of the uh, week, he uh, pulls out, I think it was 150 bucks or something. And I said, Laurie, I don't want your money. And he, he said to me, um, you're, uh, you're like me, you're the son of a Jew and you can take 150 bucks from a dying man. I said, just give me a hundred. When I left the committal, I was still wondering what my role was in all of this. Now back home, I'm holding spoonfuls of lorry in my hands, still mad at myself for not having listened to his energy pestering me. When energies or spirits come to me, I can't get them out of my mind. It's a persistent image of someone who's passed, and they pester me to acknowledge them. There's no science behind it, no evidence, just affirmation, and it's my truth. Here was Laurie forcing me to remember him. He kept drawing me back to 386 Dudley Road, Birmingham, and our old life. We laughed so hard and so long in that space surrounded by mateship. Then I came up with an idea for the leftover ashes. It just made sense to get the old gang back together again, to reminisce and catch up on Laurie. I organised for us to meet up on Zoom and to each create a little keepsake that would hold some of Laurie's ashes in it. I'd already packaged up tiny bits of his ashes, along with little blocks of modelling clay. 
I posted them off to our friends around the world. While we chatted on Zoom, we each created tiny birds and placed Laurie's ashes inside them. Andrea was at home on a beach in Thailand. Um, oh, wow. It's really hard to put into words. I don't think I've ever even been in a room with some ashes before. Um, so, and then it's tying them to a person, isn't it? The whole thing's really just made me just think about all the memories. Karen was on a ferry on her way home from Calais. To me, it's just more symbolic. I don't find it sort of um, sort of too strange, really. I just think it's just it's symbolic. Debs was in Wales at a writers' festival. It's it sending shivers down my spine a little bit. I've got shivers in my arms a bit. <laughs> when he was good, he was good. But actually, I think when he was bad, he was horrid. There was times I think that um, he leaned a lot on friends going back to him, perhaps why some friends did lose touch with him because sometimes he did demand a lot of you. Maureen, the funeral director, also joined us from a restaurant kitchen somewhere in Sydney. He wanted to have a pair of um, his underpants on the on the coffin, which I flat out, I said, no, you're not having underpants on your coffin. I said, no, they're going to be clean. I said, I don't give a fuck, you're not having underpants on your coffin. That I won't ever have worn them. I said, choose something else you haven't worn. You're not having underpants on your coffin. Here he was in his last starring performance, making the crowd laugh and for one last time demanding all of our attention. It's like he drew me in, knowing I'd make a podcast about him. I mean, I remember him first thing in the morning. He was a total live wire. Even if he'd had drinks the night before, he was completely on super top form. He'd bounce out of bed and was just on show, you know, just showing, not on show, but just, you know, <laughs> performance mode, total performance mode. And it was just hilarious, you know, to wake up to something like that. And I've never, I've never experienced it since because every other guy's been totally moody in the morning. <laughs> you mean normal? Probably, yeah. Normal, yeah. <laughs> I feel differently about the ashes now we've reminisced around them, if that makes any sense at all. I feel quite fond of fond of the ashes in a, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Laurie's as free as a bird now. He'll adorn windowsills, sit on bookshelves and sunbake on a beach in Thailand. I've got my cat's ashes on a, on a bookshelf in my living room, so he's going to spend a bit of time with Archie. I have a portion of my father's ashes in a little silver bird. My dad could talk a glass eye shut as well, so those two would get on really well. <laughs> I'm hoping he can float hanging on my balcony in Thailand. You can see the sea from here, you can look at, you know, and I can just flick it now and again to wake him up and annoy him. <laughs> and by the way, we do know Laurie would have hated this bird making. He'd quite like that he's got us all together on the internet, but he would have hated this. I could never have imagined a year and a half ago how this last Julie and Laurie show would end. I know he's happy because the haunting has stopped and he's now left my mind. He now just sits quietly, forever remembered. Laurie Stallman, an old friend of mine. Laurie's Ashes was produced by Julie Kimberley. Our supervising producer was Claudia Taranto and our sound engineer was Hamish Camilleri.
and next time in our series of stories about remembering. Sunil's mother loved telling him stories about his colourful uncle, India's best-known sceptic, who devoted his life to disproving fraudulent guru's miracles by eating fire, bending forks and floating mid-air. But at the heart of the sceptic's magic was a disappearing act. That's next on Earshot. I'm Miyuki Ranta. I hope you can join me then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.